and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Common Ojo and Spiesnigel. Yeah, it's supposed to be Norwegian, but it's actually made by Danish people. And we'll get to that later. I just really like that. Why? Shut up. I'm really excited to have our guest here today. And we're looking forward to introducing him and talking to him. Before we do so, I want to make sure you know who the other panelists are. I am your inarticulate host today, Richard Litauer, clearly caffeinated, as you can tell. And we also have on the podcast, Ben Nichols. Ben, how are you doing? I'm good. It's three o'clock here. Don't worry. I'll keep it on the DL. Thank you. Please keep it on the down low. Our guest today is Per Plukrosant, which I hope I did that correctly. Per is the open tech lead at Spotify. So anything you think about streaming music, Spotify is, of course, the main players in that game. Very excited to come and talk about giving back to OSS from Spotify. Per is living in Berlin. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for coming. This is really exciting. Been paying Spotify customers for years and years and years. Excited <laughs> to see some of that money go back towards open source. <laughs> Before we get going and talking about the new FOSS fund that you set up, I want to know a bit more about your background and how you got involved with Spotify and open source in the first place. So what gives? How'd that happen? Yeah. So I joined an open source project, which we turned into a company. What is that like 15 years ago? And I stayed around for 10 years. It is a open source content management system called Braco. And we were basically just two people trying to make something like work and sustainable. And we spent 10 years like experimenting with 15, 20 different ways of making money and producing open source. And then I left after yeah, 10 years and there was like 70 people working in the company. And then I had this bizarre need to go into big tech instead of working in an open source company. And that's like, a, in hindsight, probably a weird decision. But then I ended up in Zalando in, in Berlin. That's why I'm in Berlin now. And there I worked with open source and trying to kind of work with open source in a more like enterprise-y context of like, how do you make a big organization take on this topic and take ownership? And then I had a small detour into the security team of Zalando. And then I eventually ended up in Spotify from January this year, running the open source team there. Zalando, the closed company, am I getting that wrong? Yeah, yeah, it's like the European Amazon of shoes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't yeah. Hong Fuk Dang there? Yes, yes. I work with uh, Hong and the open source team there. Okay, cool. Awesome. We've had Hong on this podcast before. Ah, uh, cool. Um, yeah, Zalando was interested in FOSS Asia and yeah. open source stuff. Check out that podcast that we had with her, I think, a couple of years ago now. That's really exciting. Cool. All right, so you got hired at Spotify. Is Spotify normally based in Berlin? They have an office here, yeah. And I think they've been here for a couple of years, but the new office that I know of is, has been here for like half a year, basically. So it, it's brand new and no one has been using it because of COVID. So now people are kind of slowly getting into the office again. So everything feels like brand new. But yeah, they're here. Now, I remember and, SoundCloud used to be based in Berlin. Did Spotify take a lot of those engineers when there was the big layoffs? Yeah, you know, like the Berlin tech scene is like very few companies. So you always meet regular people oh you work from Solano, you work at soundcloud or that's like the regular people here and you always see those so they, i think people rotate on a regular basis between the companies cool okay so you rotated into spotify tell me about the yes. open source program office there what's the ospo look like so well the ospo right now is just me basically working with right. a bunch of uh, yeah it's good 
So that's very harmonious team. We all agree on the thing we want to do inside the team at least. So it's good. <laughs> but yeah, I also work with like various like principles and so on around the tech organization. But so I'm responsible for the topic, but I have other people to collaborate with as well. And that obviously also goes into the backstage team, which we might talk about later. And like backstage is an open source project that the Spotify donated to the CNCF. And there are a bunch of Spotify people engaged in that as well with a longer term plan of basically making it more into like a commercially sustainable party as well. So I work with these people as well. But generally speaking, the open source program office at Spotify is like concerned with anything open source related at Spotify. And that's a very big topic. So it's kind of taking it step by step, making sure that it's correctly integrated into how we do engineering and planning and prioritization and so on. One question I have, just to be clear, in Berlin, there's also a conference every year, which is really cool in open source called FOSS Backstage. You're referring yeah, yeah, yeah. to a different backstage, right? Yes. Yes. I was actually at the Backstage conference. What was it, like a month ago Great. or something? Yeah, it was good. It's a different thing. It's like, so Backstage, the very brief version is that it's an open source framework for building internal developer portals. So for developers to keep track of all the different services, APIs, finding security vulnerabilities, finding data sources, all these things. It's kind of like a... Kind of like an internet for your developers, basically. Sweet. Cool. Prospect Edge was fun. We had four podcasts that came out of that. I got to do these little tiny mini interviews. So check out episodes 118 to 121. Ben, you had a question? Yeah, I'm just kind of interested in the kind of birth of Ospos and organizations that now have like a representative Ospo that's kind of emerging. How did the conversation happen in Spotify about, hey, maybe we need an OSPO? Or was that something that you kind of pushed? And I'm just kind of wondering, like, what are the kind of factors that you might see if you're a developer or someone else in an organization that thinks maybe an OSPO would work for us? Like, how did that conversation evolve? What did that process look like of getting to where you are now being the one person that's kind of representing the OSPO? So I was obviously a part of that conversation because I was kind of hired as the outcome of that conversation. But I do know that the topic of open source has been managed inside of Spotify for the past 10 years, primarily through like volunteers just being passionate about it. But that also means that when you kind of work at, at a topic as a sidekick, you don't really have a lot of like cross-organizational influence. You can't really put together a bigger strategy because people are kind of involved in the topic on all. So I think most companies can probably get by by just having things driven for a while organically by people who are very passionate. But it also means that you don't really have any control of where this thing is going because it's kind of based on what like current people's opinion is about the topic and they might want to take it somewhere totally different than the company actually want to do. So I think there's more value in just having a lot of passionate people involved in it, but there's certainly also a lot of value from having like an official open source strategy that the company actually agrees on so the company actually understands what is the value we can get out of this thing. Don't just like treat it as a nice to have that you kind of, <laughs> the engineers kind of play around with the front. I know you weren't there, but do you have any idea how that conversation started? Because I've spent a lot of time talking to people at Osbos trying to figure out how do we get more money or how do we start yeah. an Osbo over there? I just want to know like who was talking to whom that made that thing sound good? Yeah. And so I know a couple of the people who had this conversation inside of Spotify. A lot of it is driven from the like platform side, which is also the biggest producer of open source components that we have in our Spotify GitHub org. So I think it was a lot of those teams who actually felt that there was a need for someone 
taking a more like active approach into where are we taking this? Where is this going to go? So it's not just like random team wants to release random thing and then just leave it alone. I think a lot of people could also see that the people involved in the topic were kind of overwhelmed because they actually had like a full-time job next to this thing. And as things grew, they were like, well, we don't really have time to do this anymore. I think at some point you kind of need to make a decision saying, do you really want this? Then we can't just depend on people doing this as like a hobby next to their work. So I think it's like also that, I think it's a maturity that will come over time if you see that this makes sense for a company that the, oh yeah, we should actually probably invest some actual hours and resources into this and see if there's like, depending on free work. And it's like a free, it's like people have a full-time job next to it. So it's kind of still like you put people in a position where they have to choose between what they're passionate about and then also what they're doing. Totally. I mean, it makes sense for me. I mean, we're obviously, you're talking to the choir here. I have a hard question. So I'm looking at a Forbes article, which I think is one of the most recent ones. It says that Spotify paid 7 billion in royalties in 2021 to claims to artists. So Spotify holds the rights to stream things and then pays out based upon actual listenership. And there's been a lot of flack over the past five, 10 years. And this isn't a surprise. So I didn't feel like this would be too tough about, you know, Spotify not paying artists enough. It looks like now you have over a thousand people who made over a million dollars on Spotify, which is awesome. A uh, thousand artists, sorry. And 28% of artists on Spotify are making over $10,000, which is really exciting. That's a fourth. That's really great considering how much bad music there is out there. It seems like Spotify's model is to some extent enabling other people taking off of the work that other people have made and then saying we enable other people to pay for it. And so we get a tiny bit here. And so paying for open source actually seems to match that in some way, right? It's like, we're getting all this value. Let's just give some of it back. Do you have any idea how the, or maybe this is a good segue. Can you talk about the FOSS fund that you're setting up to give back to open source? Yeah, I think I have a problem with this the same, like giving back. I think we should kind of change that, that we're not trying to do like do people a favor here. We actually, we want to pay for something of value that we received over time. So you could cool. maybe say we benefited from this for years and years and years. So we're not trying to give back. We're trying to actually just have a fair relationship here with the, with the people we depend on. But yeah, let's, let's talk about the first one. So we have established the first fund with an initial amount of 100,000 euros. And that is like in the grand scheme of things, not an enormous amount of money, but it's a starting point for us to try out to see, can we create a better environment for the people that we rely on? For them to do the right thing, to invest their time into keeping the things we depend on in the States. So we don't have to worry about people maybe just burning out and stopping maintaining a project that we actually rely on that they might need some additional resources to do a security audit. They want to improve their website. They want to improve their onboarding of new people and so on and so on. And we have limited reach there, right? We can't really influence people to do anything, but one thing that can kind of influence that is money or time. And money is like a very quantitative thing we can have to just like put on a thing. And that's much easier to steer than like steering time or resources in other ways. So that's the thinking behind it is that we want to have a greater influence on the things we depend on. And I think if you want to put it into like a really, really boring business term, then this is also like a risk reduction exercise that if we don't take ownership of the things we rely on, then they have a tendency to just like go whatever direction they want. And that's not really great because some of these dependencies we have thousands and thousands of reference to inside of our infrastructure. And we need to take responsibility for that. And with limited reach, then money is one of the other options that we can actually have some sort of influence. That's interesting. I know there's been discussions about the undue influence of corporate desires or goals on open source projects. And money is a really easy way to skew an open source project towards a negative goal. So 
What are you doing to make sure that the participation is authentic and actually aligns to the values of the people who are in those projects beforehand so that you don't come off as an extractive corporate company? That's a good, yeah, that's a good question. I think that's always a risk, right? Because if you look at the power dynamics between a big corporation and an open source project, then yeah, the big corporation is the most powerful one here. We have also over time created a dynamic where a lot of people are engaged in open source because they kind of have to as table stakes as a developer that you have some sort of GitHub activity on your resume and so on. So I think the tech companies absolutely have the upper hand here. And it's kind of hard to opt out of that as a developer. If you're not on GitHub, then you kind of like, that seems like oddly suspicious. So that's definitely a challenge. I think for us, we have, well, this is also very much like internal thing of thinking about like, how do we communicate to these maintainers that we get money? And there was a lot of questions. Should we like create like a contract or should we put some clauses in there? It's like, no, we have to make this very clear that this like no strings attached. We can use the money for whatever we want to. If you feel that it makes you happy as a maintainer, go buy a car. We didn't specifically tell that people, but they have been working on this for so many years in a lot of these cases and they should be paid for it. And if it's to just like extract money for salary for themselves and eventually buy a car or a house, whatever they want, then they should do that. We don't come with a wish list. We don't come with any like obligations they need to fulfill. And I think that's extremely important for these men to know that. I think it's overdue that we as a community or an ecosystem that both the companies think about how they can pay maintainers. But on the other hand, maintainers also really need to think about starting actually asking for money without any strings attached. It shouldn't always be a trade. Oh, if I get money from you, I'll give you this. We kind of need to get away from that mindset on both sides. I couldn't agree more. Asking for money is very hard and people should be able to do that easier. This is something I've struggled with in my life without people like Ben saying, no, you should just take money, Richard. I don't know where I'd be right now. And I'm serious about that. I know you're making eyes at me like, what? That's not what I do. But like, (laughs) I naturally didn't think asking for money is something that's okay. The next order question that I've been having around money with maintainers is that you're talking as if maintainers have a single mind and a single body and that they're able to actually use the money effectively. I'm saying that the way that you're saying, though, they they could go buy a car. I'm thinking about most open source projects. Very few of them have the governance set up where if they were given money, one maintainer could go and take enough money out of it to go buy a car. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's a sole maintainer project. You give them $10,000, maybe they'll go buy a used Honda. Great. One of my questions for you, I guess, looking at how people spend money in open source, which is a question I'm increasingly interested in, is what are you doing to ensure that there's enough governance set up where the money is actually being usefully used within the project to make the lives of developers happy and not just sitting there and then sort of being unable to be used because there's too much FUD around what happens with the money that we have in our project. Is there any guidance that you're giving as a company to help out open source projects? So no, we actually don't do that. First of all, we base this transaction on trust. That's like the first thing. And cool. again, we trust these producers of open source with like key parts of our infrastructure. So if we go on the assumption that we don't trust them, then why are we using their code? So we do trust them and we do trust them to spend the money in the right way. So we don't have a lot of like requirements on like governance. What we did have is we needed to be able to live up to our own like governance rules in regards to like transfer of money and so on. So we had to use GitHub sponsors or collective, or we did need to have like some sort of tech ID we transfer the money to. And that was the extent of it. And then we also looked at once we kind of have a short list of projects we wanted to fund, we looked at what was the actual structure behind it. We didn't want to fund something that was primarily driven by a bunch of people at a big tech company. We targeted like smaller projects with like a specific set of maintainers. And a bunch of the projects we actually have is like, we could see they actually had a commercial entity where they said, well, you can make a contract with us and we'll use that money to actually support the project. So they already thought about how to kind of do this and where the money actually went. So there's definitely also a criteria in how we looked at it to make sure that they actually had some thought, maybe some experience on how to actually spend that money. 
it sounds like you've got a short list and you're kind of working from that point, but how are people working in Spotify kind of involved in the process of deciding who is going to receive what they're going to receive? And I'm very interested also, but feel free to take it as a follow-on question in how you are thinking about next year and like how you are already thinking about judging the success of the program that you're setting up this year. Candidates want to shortlist from two different sources. So we asked the developers, what do you think we should support? And from that, I think we got basically 60 different projects submitted and there was a lot of repeat things in there. And then we looked at those and see, okay, which one of these are like run by a foundation, which one are run by individual people. And we kind of filter that down based on what we actually could support and what makes kind of sense to support. But then we also used metrics from our security team, which looked at our dependency graph sorted by a number of users in here. And then we just had the most used things at the top. And then we kind of went down to see what kind of things actually independently maintained here. Because I think most companies, if you look at that dependency graph, a lot of the stuff that will come up is like, oh, this is like run by Google. This is like run by Meta. This is like run by whatever big tech company. But then kind of after filtering those out, you could see like a clear pattern. And we had like one project maintained by one person, which yeah, again, was like thousands and thousands of references. And then I was like, okay, that's a clear, good candidate. Let, let's look further into that. So that's kind of the sources we used. And there was a lot of manual checking. There's not like a really good way of quantifying what is actually important here. And that's also one of the things we need to take on out of this as a as learning. It's extremely hard to actually put together a pool of 10, 20 projects and discuss them with some sort of like neutral metric. It's extremely hard to look at, oh, this thing we use for testing and this thing we use for managing DNS between our different applications. It's two very different use cases. If the DNS project fails, then yes, we are completely screwed. We, our networking will stop working, basically. If the testing tool will stop working, our production won't be hit, but it's a productivity helper for our engineers every day. So we would lose hours and hours and hours. So it's very hard to kind of like mutually assess these things across different types of software. So we need to get better at that. Like how do we actually quantify the value of the specific thing we're looking at? And that also goes into the next month. How are we going to like quantify the value of this investment? And for now, our plan is to monitor the metrics of our projects, looking at the number of releases, looking at like time to fixing for like pull requests. How often does things get merged in? Do we see a change in like maintainers? Do we see if there's actually a security issue with a project? How long does it actually take to resolve that? And so on and so on. And we have some metrics from the past six months for these different projects we've funded. So we will compare that in a year to see how it actually went. If these metrics have gone up and down. And if they aren't changed, that's not a sign of like lack of success. It's just like maybe that's not the right way of actually measuring it. So, so I don't think everything depends on those metrics, but I definitely have a mindset here that we should be able to measure what we're doing to kind of quantify that this makes sense for the company. Otherwise, you will end up in this thing that we're just doing things because it's the right thing to do. And that's often the first thing that will go once something more important comes along. You kind of have this mindset of being able to quantify what you're doing. And yeah, so other thing we also wanted to do is looking at the different nominations. You can see a lot of teams actually specifically nominating things that they depend on. But in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't actually that important. You have like one team that highly depended on something and then the first fund might not be the best way of doing it because we more care about like the bigger things that the company generally cares about. So we definitely want to improve this process as well, saying could we use this task we have created between like legal and procurement and budget people and so on and, and use that as just enabling individual teams to just find money in their own budgets 
to fund the thing they care about on, on an ad hoc basis. So maybe in the future, more funding will just be done individually by teams because they can see they have a need. They have like this very specific knowledge of a project they care about and they just need to find like, let's say put a thousand euros into a project and they should be able to find them their team budget, go through the procurement process and just pay for a thing. I think that might sound like super simple, but in, in like any big organization, <laughs> paying for something where you don't receive anything back, it's just absurd. You can't just do that. So I think now we at least we created a path and like a, a mindset inside of our procurement and legal people and so on to actually do that. So we want to leverage that to just enable teams to do that individually. I love that. I like that you're kind of happy to start paving the way, but you don't need the perfect ideal Roman road all the way through the process. And specifically, I just wanted to kind of say that it's really good having a blended kind of approach that includes hey, this is some software that we use, but then also this is just some project that people are aware of that we might not actually be using it right now, but there's some really good potential right there. And I think we often kind of talk about, you know, oh, you should base our decisions based on dependencies or oh, we should give all of the power to individual developers to kind of choose, but they come with their own biases, right? And I like that you've got a blend there. The follow-up question that I have is when you are thinking and you're having conversations in Spotify about what that FOSS fund kind of looks like in terms of amounts of money and periods of time and stuff, are there any other kind of investments that are maybe competing alongside that? What are those other things that maybe people are talking about when they're also talking about a FOSS fund? Do you feel like there is kind of healthy competition there? Do you feel like this, there are other things that Spotify are thinking of doing that kind of, yeah, like compete for attention, if not exhaustively money as well? Yeah, money is like one aspect. And I think we hopefully will have developed a better idea of our upstream dependencies through this like first initial step into this. I think as we move further into this and mature more, we will have a better idea where it also makes sense for our engineers to invest their time. And my hope is that we can have a more like strategic approach and there's just like tactical right now we do contribute and support different projects, but it's very much based on, oh, there's a problem. I will just like submit a pull request. Um, the large majority of our infrastructure depends on open source projects. And we definitely need to have a more strategic approach to this so that we can say, oh, it actually does make sense that we put like one or two people on supporting component X that we want to build whatever internal service or in the future. So we don't just like take the code and build internal things, but actually also invest in having people knowledgeable about the software we use, contribute to it, and actually get involved with it. I can see a lot of value in that. It also increases the value inside of the organization and so that we have increased knowledge about the components we use that are like pulling them off the shelf. So we definitely want to go down that route, but it takes longer to actually get that maturity level inside of the company. That's like money is the easy first step because there you just have to negotiate a budget. And like having this like more like organizational change takes a much longer time to do. But that's like one of the longer term ideas is that we definitely want to engage teams more into thinking about this issue deeper. Did you have a long history of like inner source going on at Spotify where teams sort of work on an open source way inside the company? And that sort of helped lead to like an open source culture. I'm looking at Spotify.github.io and it looks yeah. like you have a ton of like really awesome projects which have a, a thousands and thousands of stars, which is great. So I'm just curious, like internally, whether open source is held up as a value that developers are supposed to have, aside from, say, having a GitHub profile for your CV when you enter the company. Yeah. So you mean, you know, so is that a thing inside of Spotify? Yeah. It happens. But again, if anyone has read about the open source model, like Spotify model, 
teams are fairly autonomous and they do their own thing. And therefore this like cross collaboration with teams kind of create like a dependency between two autonomous units. So it, it's not really a thing that happens that often. It definitely is something that you can see like some teams working together, but it's not something that's kind of encouraged the way of working right. A team owns their thing and trends, and they should be able to handle anything within their own responsibilities. So in a source, because of the way the organization is done, it's not really something we are concerned with. Because then that would mean that you change a bigger organizational thing and a bigger culture thing inside of the company. So that's, it's not a huge priority and not something that we count a bit right now. Okay, cool. Unrelated question, but still a follow-up question to the whole false fund, is that you mentioned that it basically you're sort of handpicking which projects to donate in which is cool. That's one great approach. Again, doesn't have to be perfect. What I'm curious about is open source has a major issue with, say, diversity. Majority of open source projects are run by white men, which kind of sucks, speaking as one. So I'm just curious if you're doing anything to ensure that you don't have biases towards certain projects and that you're actually helping out projects which have a more, say, diverse footprint or team and what that looks like. Yeah. I think the terrible answer right now is I don't think there's a good mechanism right now to kind of adjust the diversity of a project because you don't even know the people who actually maintain a project. You can see they have a code of conduct. So that's like definitely like table stakes for even like supporting a project that they have a code of conduct. We have also looked into like, how is the tone of voice actually in these issues? How are people actually treated? Like what's the general like way of treating people inside of these projects? But I think at the end of it, we don't have a way of measuring it right now. We don't have a consistent way of saying, okay, well, the profile... Goat 666, that must be a white dude. We don't know. And I would assume that is. So we don't have that right now. We don't really have any means of kind of diving deeper into a project to see what is the diversity range in this project. We can see what the kind of the things they put in place to kind of encourage it, but that's really it. And I think for our side, we're trying to do what we can here and saying that the panel who kind of made the decision is like 50-50 men and women making this decision on what project to fund to kind of at least on our side, to remove some part of bias here. And also have a panel consisting of like technical and non-technical people as well. So we also include that. But it is, I think it's, you know, a problem that you have so few insights into the general like population that actually contributes to projects. It's hard to have any kind of accountability, really. You see a lot of projects where things work and you typically only hear about projects when there's a problem, where there's another scandal. But I wish we had a way inside the industry to kind of keep projects more accountable on what they actually do. Me too. So that was a tough question. I know there are some movement stores. I know the chaos project has, for instance, yeah. metrics that could be used by industry to figure out how yeah. a project is more diverse or not. Yep. It's also tough working with international companies because the conversation around diversity is so different in different countries. Like the conversation in Germany is not based on how do we support African-Americans because it's not based on how do we support Americans, right? It's much more about something else. So Turkish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, refugees. So that's very interesting. You mentioned projects, funding specific projects, which have already had the steps set up, Open Collective, et cetera, in order for them, for you to give them money. Have you thought deeper about deeper down to the dependency stack and helping projects, which are those projects' dependencies and so on and so forth? We're just a decision this time around that we didn't want to dive that deep simply just to get things rolling. It's definitely something we are aware of and we definitely have things for the stack that we do depend on. The pros and cons of this approach was, again, if we have employees at least like nominating things that they care of, then we can actually also find the banks that happen more on the tooling side. That's like one thing we didn't want to miss because those are typically the things that people miss because you, they don't show up in like a dependency graph. And again, the dependency graph we looked at this time was only like the direct dependencies, but we know that there's like thousands of things further down. 
But yeah, we don't have the knowledge and the metrics further down right now. It's something we want to get better at for next year. We definitely want to have like more data and tooling in place and so as Spotify to do these things better. So it's like very much a, a best effort approach this year. Cool. Another question around strategy here. I know you're not like the C-suite level, but one of the things I'm curious about is how are you supporting projects which go towards Spotify's larger goals in the long run of, say, different markets, different technologies, uh, ensuring, you know, faster transmission? And what are you doing to think not just about the dependencies which you have now, but about dependencies which you will have in the future and supporting those ecosystems as opposed to individual projects? Is that something that you're going to think about? I know you may not have been this one because, again, let's get the ball rolling, which I'm. it's cool. That ball needs to roll. So good job. (laughs) I'm just curious, like, what bounces may that ball eventually go through? Yeah, that's a good question. I have no idea right now. I don't know where these things are going. Yeah, that's the answer. I think one thing we do know is that we have a high dependency on like media products because that's like one of the core things we do. And and there we already put like a large emphasis like funding those. And it's a thing that we specifically need for our our business. Where are we going to go in the future? I think Spotify as a company is moving, you could say, it's like 10% an audio company and like 90% a, a tech company because when you press play, a billion things happen and that playlist you get every Monday, a lot of things has happened before that even becomes a thing. So I think we will definitely have a, a huge footprint in the future. So we need to figure out where that's going, but that's like very much like, that's like very much a company strategy rather than like an open source decision. So I think the Oswald's job there is to make sure that we facilitate support for these things that we want to adopt in the future and not so much make a decision what we actually adopt. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And it's kind of a rude question. I'm always curious, like, what people are thinking in terms of like long-term strategic goals and open source with yeah. investing. Because now that we're having investing in sort of a general thing, dropping 100,000 in the pot is great. It's awesome. It's cool to fund open source projects. I'm just curious how companies are leveraging that going forward. And maybe I'm a bit ahead of the times and most of the conversation is still like, no, it's good to invest in open source, Mr. President, man. But I'm just kind of always curious, like whether there's another aspect to it, to more forward-thinking envisioning boards. Yeah, and I think there's a interesting long-term perspective in the sense that we should not really have something specific to open source. We should not talk about funds. I think if the accounting department came and said, we would like to have like an SAP fund because we have this like very important relationship with SAP, it's like, we still have this tendency of thinking about open source is magical, but in, in the sense, this is just software we really depend on in a lot of cases. And we need to kind of, as an industry move towards a further normalization of that relationship. We have had like a period where it has been this weird free fall kind of thing and you just like take things in the, and, and use it without any cost. And a lot of people have benefited from that and that's wonderful. But I think we do need to move further toward like just a normalized vendor relationship. So when you think about like longer term, it should not be me going to the C-level saying, I would please like a lot more money here so I can just like donate it to people. The part of the decision making should not be oh, we want to adopt technology X. And to do that in a responsible way and take full ownership of that decision, we also need to look at the sustainability of technology X. And therefore, we need to both support them with resources and time and and money and so on, so it can be a successful adoption. That is how you would do it with any other kind of like commercial technology out there. Any big tech company that adopts something that is critical to their operations, they adopt it with like a bulletproof legal contract. They adopt it with like a budget for training for the employees. They adopt it with like external consultants. They put a large amount of money into just making sure that it'll be a successful adoption. And they might even have like a vendor contract that says this cannot be discontinued in the next five years because we're going to depend on it so much. 
But when it's open source, you don't have all these considerations. It's just like, oh, Kubernetes, cool. Let's take that and put it everywhere. I don't really think about where it's coming from. You still think about open source as this like magical thing and you just like pull into your entire tech stack, put it everywhere, and then not even know where you're using it. We can again, like refer to Log4J. It's like surprise to actually depend on the So I think that's where I hope we will eventually get. I don't know when, but I think when a C-level makes a decision of taking a big technology decision and start adopting a bigger thing into their stack, they do need to have all these considerations, not just look at the price tag of zero, but also look at like, how can we make this a successful adoption? So I agree with everything you said. It's just, I'm also realizing that this is part of my brain, which is like screaming in horror at like open source fun, <laughs> turning into like a vendor relationship with like corporations, which is like, you know, that's fair enough. And that's also just, I have a, an anarchist streak that's a mile wide for listeners who haven't figured that out yet. I guess like the fundamental question that I come back to if when I go towards that abyss, like the bridge that I used to cross it is the world isn't great. Things are breaking down environmentally. We can't continue to have the kind of culture we have and industry we have where we're constantly built upon growth. And I'm saying this in a bear market, which is super silly and stupid, but I'm just curious in terms of like degrowth, in terms of the possibility of having a sustainable Spotify that gives as much as it takes that actually helps out all of the artists who stream their amazing music on the platform. And you're able to support all the open source that you're using. I wonder if there's any room in there to talk about open source policy in terms of doing more than just shoring up your securities and shoring up the technologies that you actually work on. Is there anything involving like say an exit to a community strategy or something that's more about let's actually be sure we're part of an equitable world where there isn't extractive nature to corporations <laughs> and you may not have an answer for this this is just one i'm thinking and again this is kind of rude so that's where i'm going in my head so yeah. I, I don't know do you have any thoughts on yeah, that yeah i think i think there's a i think it's great i think <laughs> so my answer would like not be not will not be in line with any like official spotify policy here <laughs> which is okay yeah, yeah but the thing is like i think these kinds of things are thinking about like how can you like excuse I think the answer, the, the blunt answer is that that's never going to happen, right? Because you have like still the third party of this relationship is like shareholders. There's like Spotify shareholders who do expect to get some money back when they're, they're purchasing a Spotify stock, right? And that's what kind of drives growth of the, of the world. And that's like, again, you can go like, so it's like, and yet you live in a society and that's where we are. I think there's parts of it we can influence and make better for like a small group of people. And that's where you make the small steps. But it's extremely hard to say and pretend that you can ever turn like a big corporation into a collective uh, and make it non-profit. That's likely never going to happen. Not with something the size of Spotify, right? Yeah, which is a fair and honest answer. And again, it's kind of a hard one. Well, it's an impossible question to answer. I'm just, I'm always curious about it. So thank you for trying. (laughs) I was going to say like, for me, there is a space though. There is a space to say... Yes, we need to move in a direction in which companies, and I love the way you put it, need to think about the sustainability of the components that the company is built out of. And some of those components are service providers. Some of those components are people who drive. Some of those components happen to be pieces of software. And each one of those components can be replaced and there is a cost for that. And that cost can be high, it can be small, and so on. I think the thing that 
we don't talk about too much at the moment is the value of independence for each of those components. So like as a provider of a service, I yeah have to like jump through some hoops in order to work with you. And then you pay me in return for the services that I provide. And you don't have that same process as an open source project, but you do have the opportunity to bring the same kind of thinking. And I think you know, yes, it is quite ugly to have a process like vendor management or procurement kind of mentioned alongside supporting open source software, but there is still there like the opportunity for projects to think a little bit more about the value that they provide and how they're going to work with organizations and to kind of seek a kind of independence, which is good for both the project and for all the companies that kind of depend on it. And just getting around to the point, like the thing that I find quite interesting is we still talk about projects that are incubated by or predominantly supported by companies like Facebook, Name Meta, et cetera. We think of them as being kind of outside of that curve right now. We kind of think of them as being like, oh, it's a Google project or, oh, it's a Facebook project or something. But we kind of think that there is space to consider even those projects within this work because it may well be that that kind of independence is better for them and better for you as well. And I kind of wonder whether, what is it to say that a project has like four maintainers and three of them work for Facebook and it was incubated at Facebook and there's still an opportunity to support that project and for those people if they choose to move outside of Facebook and work predominantly on that project without having the organization kind of sitting behind them. Does that take you in the direction that we were just talking about in which you have a more kind of cooperative community-based kind of project that's been incubated within a corporation? Like, is that the transition? Is that the way in which we kind of create that? Yeah, maybe that's the path we should take. I think again, the reason why we kind of filtered out these like big tech owned projects was that we wanted our money to to have as much impact as possible. And if you're like a bunch of people that's at Facebook and they, you get like a full time salary to do this thing, then it's probably not going to have the most impact. But, but to your question, I think taking these things as an incubation in from a tech company and putting them into a separate organization that might be a commercial one, that might be a non commercial one, I think is something we should do more. And I think. At some point, maybe these companies should let go of their successes and think about like, how can we ensure the long-term sustainability of this? And I think it seems like the pattern so far has been that they donated to a foundation. So it becomes like this, like more neutral ownership. And I think that can probably work fine, but I also wish that we had a bigger focus on maybe these projects can actually become like a sustainable business in itself, that you can actually build some great software and you can turn it into a sustainable business. Maybe you don't even have to depend on donations. That would, I think that's still my preference is that if an open source company can become a business where they can pay their own salaries and they get companies to pay for them, that's definitely my preference that instead of depending on the donations of other people. So yeah, I think we should definitely have more of that in the ecosystem. I think the last couple of years, we've kind of had this definition of success that an open source project is really successful if they were bought by IBM or some other company, like, like or went public with an IPO and so on. I think... We should have a much bigger focus on creating this like small gathering of like small mid-sized companies that deliver uh, open source software and they find otherwise other ways to monetize it and not really so much like depending on donations. So they actually build up a business and they find ways to charge the customers and so on. And still basing it on open source software. And I don't think there's a lot of focus on that in the industry right now. No, I love it. This is a great conversation and I'm sorry to have to cut it short, but we are running up on time. I really appreciate everything you've shared today immensely. 
I know that you can be reached on Twitter at pplug. That's P P L O U G. And of course, you can find out about Spotify at Spotify.com or Spotify to GitHub.io. Is there anywhere else where people should look to keep updated on you or Spotify's Ospo? I think that's it. I think that's it. Cool. So that's really great. So go check those things out. Don't leave yet, though. Now it's time of the show for Spotlight. Spotlight's where we highlight people, projects, or things which are really awesome, which we just want to say this thing needs more love and light. Ben, what is your spotlight today? My spotlight today is fstimer.org. I am running a cycling event the weekend after next, and I was looking for a free tool to basically record people's start and finish times and deal with all of the kind of like race numberings and categorization and stuff. So yeah, I just wanted to thank Ben Letham, who I think used to work at Facebook, maybe still does, for putting together a program which looks like it hasn't been updated since 2017. So I may also have to update the dependencies for that. But yeah, FS timer, if you need time like a road race or a running race or something else, then check it out. Awesome. Keeping in line with the possible former employees, possible current employees, I'm not sure. Jim Kang is mine. Jim used to work at Spotify, may still work at Spotify. I don't know. I haven't kept in touch with him. But Jim is awesome. One of my favorite people in open source of all time. He has a really awesome website that talks about all his different projects. My favorite project of his, I think, has got to be God Tributes on Twitter, which is a thing that you can tweet at and it'll just tweet at the thing, owls. And it'll go, owls for the owl god. Owlets for the owlet throne. And it just makes me laugh every time I see it. Thank you so much, Jim Kang. You're an amazing person. And everyone, make sure that you have signed up to be bone marrow donors if possible. I know that that is a cause that he's particularly interested in. So if you haven't heard about bone marrow donorship, it's a thing that you can do to make other people live better lives. So think about that. Pear, what is your spotlight today? Well, this is like a Spotify project called Basic Pitch. And that's, I think that's the opposite way I'm most excited about right now. It's like a, it's a project for turning audio files into MIDI. So you can basically, you can go to, it's also written in, in Python, but also the TypeScript version. You go to this website, you just yell into the computer and it'll turn it into media notes. And you can take your yelling and put it into a digital audio workstation. It's very interesting. I saw a guy on Twitter who said, maybe we could use this to actually transcribe like birdsong to media. And then <laughs> it might be for you, Richard. So I think that's the thing I'm most excited about right now because I also dabble in music on the side. So it's just, it's funny to just like turn your singing or your yelling into like piano notes with it. Very tempted to sing a lot right now, but I won't do that to you or <laughs> listeners on the podcast. That sounds really cool. Pera, this was great. Listeners, if you think this is great, let us know. You can email us at podcast at sustainoss.org. If you have any feedback or any future guests, we're always listening and always really excited. Please rate us on the Apple Podcasts or Spotify, everywhere where podcasts are sold. Follow us on Twitter at sustainoss. If you're interested in joining in the conversation, you can go to discourse at sustainoss.org to talk about cool things like the Spotify Falls Fund. There's been a thread for that. You can also find more episodes or the show notes at podcast.sustainoss.org as well. I always try really hard to make this sound like a medical infomercial. So thank you so much. Finally, Pear, thank you. Take care and good luck with everything. Thank you so much. 